All right, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 12. And that's in the Old Testament, written by Solomon, the wise guy, Solomon. And he was wise. I know folks pick on the man for having all them wives and concubines, but we can excuse that, can't we, for a little wisdom? Okay, well, I just thought I'd see how that would go over. (laughs) This is what I know. The Lord said he was wise. Y'all don't believe the Bible? (laughs) So the guy had too many wives. Can we say God was right and said Solomon was wise? Can we believe that? All right, there we go. Well, let's see what he says here. We're starting a new series moving forward. The idea of this series is to uh, address four things that we believe are the most important things for your life. Wherever you may be, whether you're in Christ, not in Christ, whether you've been serving the Lord for a long time, not serving the Lord for a long time, uh, new at this, new at church, new at life uh, in the sense of embracing what it means to know God, we just believe that these messages are going to take you to a place to where you're going to not only grow because each message is designed for that. This first one is knowing God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Then finding freedom. I'm going to deal next week with bondages and chains that may be in your life. Even though you may be a believer, uh, things that still might be affecting you, I want to deal a little bit with that and what it means to find freedom, what it means to find true freedom. Uh, Not just for those who are in Christ, but if you've never experienced that before, I want to share about that and then discovering purpose. Why did God create us? We know he had a purpose. The scriptures is clear about that, that God had a purpose. And then I'll close out with making a difference, leaving a legacy, leaving an imprint, an impression. The world ought to be different because you're alive and you're serving Jesus and you're doing what God wants you to do. The world ought to be different. Can you say amen to that? And so the idea is to bring you to a place of understanding today is what it really means to know God and why that's important. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number one, is where I'll start reading. I'm going to read from the New Living. Some of you might have ESV or New King James, but I think you could follow along just the same. And, And hear this. And there's a couple of things I want you to note. Listen to what the wise man is saying. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. I'll probably come back to that. But I think you write that first line is making a statement that life can be so exciting, so energetic, moving so fast. Many things that you enjoy in life that you have a tendency to forget about God, that life is more um, lived out based on the things that you're enjoying, the things you have before you, and doesn't mean all those things are wrong, but can forget that the Lord is the Lord of life and is the one that grants all of these things. But listen to these words. He says, honor him in your youth before 
you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. That's a real poignant statement that if there's not an enjoyment of God, the Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? What's the chief purpose of us? And the answer to that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What the wise man is saying here, if you don't have God in your life, if God is pushed aside or secondary, there's going to come a time in life when you say life just isn't that good, just isn't that pleasant, life isn't that cool. Verse 2, remember him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes, and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Verse 3, remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see dimly. Some of y'all saying that's happening already. Remember, verse 4, remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all the sounds will grow faint. Five, remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper, and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now, while you were young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. I actually, that's one of my favorite sections of Scripture because I think it's fascinating what the wise man is saying. And there are actually, in just those seven verses, ten times that he uses the word before. So he's indicating to us that there, uh, there's going to be a season of life. I don't want you to misunderstand the word young to mean uh, young in a sense of chronological age. Basically, what Solomon is saying when he's using his word young is when you get to a place in life and a season in life where all of the things that God has purpose for you and designed for you and want you to enjoy, you get to a place to where you're basically heading to the grave. Actually, he makes it a little bit more pointed in verse number seven. And actually, if you went on down and read the rest of it, He basically uses young to mean before death. Because once death comes, all of those things that you have not enjoyed in this life because you have not included God in your life, those days are over. There is no second opportunity to to say, okay, God, give me a do-over. I missed it. I messed up. It's all over. 
And what Solomon is saying here, he's informing us that what we need to embrace, what we need to grab a hold of, what we need to do is to understand that the purpose of living this life is to live this life according to God's plan and God's purposes. And so, as we, as we look toward this, and I, I'm sorry, I think the whole time here I've said it's Solomon, but it's Jeremiah that wrote this. Um, so as we look at this, what, what he's pointing us to is knowing, knowing God. Now, there's a difference in between being known by God and you knowing God. There's a difference there. Being known by God and you, know, you knowing God. All of us, without question, I believe we know that God knows us. He knows us completely. He knows us entirely. Everything about us is known by God. But for us, and, and there's, there's two different words that's used, at least in the, in the Greek New Testament, two different words that's used for the word know. One is the word gnosis or genoso, depends on how you want to pronounce it. And what it means is having information that's knowledge. Having information that's knowledge. It doesn't have anything to do with relationship. It's just I know these things or I know about that person. I have information. And then there is a word epignosis. Epignosis is a little bit different um, understanding because epignosis means leading to relationship. It's not just knowing someone knowledge-wise. If you can put that picture up there for me if you got it. It's knowing someone in relationship, having more than just the data. A, a few, a, maybe two weeks ago, I went to D.C. to uh, handle some stuff there. I was in Gettysburg, and I went by to, and this was a scheduled meeting, to be with our congressman, uh, Gosar. And I see all the pictures on his wall. I see where he went to school. I see the things he's working on on his desk. I see the books he's reading. I spend time with his staff. All of those things. I even sit behind his desk and pretend I'm running the, the government for a minute. All of those things. But I don't know him other than just information. We didn't go out to eat together. We didn't go watch a movie. I didn't go to his home. None of those things. I don't know him. So if someone says, do you know Congressman Gosar? It would depend on how you're using the word no. If you say, do I have information about him? A whole lot of information. Can tell you his kids, can tell you his kids' ages, can tell you where he went to school. I can tell you the things that's on his mind. I can tell you the things that he's looking forward to doing for our state. But in relationship, not at all. Never played a basketball game with him. Don't know what makes him angry. Don't make what gets him upset. Not even really sure what makes him excited. I know about him, but I don't know him in relationship. And oftentimes, many of us get stuck right there with God. We get stuck to the place where we got information about God. Some of this we gain over the years while we're young. We learn through Awanas. We learn through VBS. We learn through going to Sunday school when we're young. Some of it we learn in church. But I'm here to tell you, you can sit in here in church week after week. 
and know things about God, but not really know him. And the heart of this is to get you past just knowing about him and absolutely knowing him. That's one of the things he wants us to do. Again, I don't like to use the message too often, but sometimes I like the language in it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12 is one of those ones. This might be on the screen. It says, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We see it all as clearly, listen to this, as God sees us. Hear this, knowing him directly just as he knows us. That's the heart, is knowing God in a manner, in relationship to where the things that we know about God are more than knowledge, but they're absolutely relational. The scripture tells us that we're made to know God. That's part of our purposes. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says, I want to show love. I want you to show love, not just offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than just giving me burnt offerings. Now, by no means is the Lord knocking at all or Hosea speaking for God, telling us that prayer meetings are important, uh, giving sacrifices are important. Of course, they were under the Old Testament economy. He's not saying that those things aren't all going to worship gatherings aren't important. But he says, what, what I, I, want you to, I want you to know a love that lasts more than you just know religion. I was a young man, probably 21, maybe 22. And I was in a church in Dallas, Texas, and the pastor was preaching a message. And he read this passage. This is Jeremiah 9 verse 23 and 24, it says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. Watch this, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to earth and that I delight in these things I, the Lord, have spoken. Let me tell you why I share that verse. First of all, it's a, I love the verse. But when I heard that verse that morning, that was like a word to me. I mean, as clear as I'm reading it to you, that the Lord was saying to me, that should be the pursuit of your life, is that you know me. It absolutely transformed how I looked at God. And it, there's two reasons. One is, he says, there's a whole lot of things that people can boast in, and I got that. And that, that was good, and I understood that. But when he said, this is what I want you to boast in, that you know me, think about the things that we actually brag about in our life. Very seldom is the top of that list says, well, tell me some of the great things in your life that you really understand and embrace. Very seldom is the first thing out of my mouth is, well, I know God. That's very seldom on our list. But here's the other part that struck me, is that that last passage says, the things that God really delights in is that you know him. 
I want you to think about that for a moment because I like to think, and there's probably reasons why I'm here at church every Sunday, but I like to think, some of y'all missed that. Y'all need to wake up. I like to think that God gets excited about me showing up to church every week. I like to think God gets excited for me tithing. I like to think that God gets excited about us praying for the sick and people getting healed. I like to think God gets excited about us having baptisms and people being saved and doing community work. And by no means are those things to be minimized or not to be looked at. But notice what he said directly. If you really want to know what thrills me, what gets me excited, if I can use it in our vernacular, God is saying, if you really want to know what turns me on, get to know me. Get to know me. That's the thing that really delights me. And what do we know about that? Why is that so important to God? Because if you know him, everything about you will pursue a relationship with him that absolutely pleases him. Everything, everything about you will say, I want to please God. I want to honor God. I want to do what God calls me to do or what God has spoken into my life. I want to do the thing that God has given me birth to do. Why? Because if I know him, the more I know him, the more I love him, the more I love him, the more I trust him, the more I trust him, the more I lean upon him, the more I lean upon him, the more I serve him, and the more I delight in my relationship with the Lord. Is that making any sense to anybody? It just follows the process of knowing. And what are the things that we're to know about God? Well, let me hit these fairly quickly, and then I'll, I'll get more to the heart of the message. Because here's what we do know. God has spoken to man. We know that through the Bible. He's spoken to us. He's not an impersonal God. There's a real distinction and a difference between the God that we serve, who's very personal, who's very real, versus the God of foreign of those who serve idols or those who serve any other God other than the God that we know to be the living God. Because there's nothing about those gods that can speak anything to them. Now you tell me, how can any relationship be a relationship if there's no conversation? How can you have a relationship with God if you can't have a God, if you don't have a God that communes with you or, or conversates with you and you conversate back, there's no relationship with that. That's called religion because you'll do all the works to please somebody who can never say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. He can never say it, that God or that female God or whatever God's is that they're searching after. But we have a God that actually talks. That's the whole essence of prayer. Prayer is not a time to go before the Lord for 15 minutes with a gimme list. Prayer is a time to spend with the almighty God. Think about it for a moment. The God who created the planet, who knows you every fiber of you. He knows every hair on your head, what color it is, what color it's going to be. What color dye you going to use to make it not that color that it's going to be? He knows all that. And he says, I want you to come and talk to me. I mean, what can be more greater than that? There is no meeting that's a greater meeting than spending time with the almighty God. Am I, am I y'all doing all right? He spoke to us through the Bible. He tells us what's right through the Bible. He gives us his will through the Bible. He tells us how to embrace eternally. 
And honestly, for anybody who says that they don't believe the Bible or they don't think they need to live their life by the Bible, I always want to say to them, then tell me how that works out for you. Because you're stuck then with one of two things, the wisdom of others or the wisdom of yourself. And I'm sorry, there ain't a person on the planet to me that's so smart that they're going to get it all right with everything that they do. None of us are that wise. None of us are that smart. None of us are that degreed. None of us are that perfect. All of us are fallible and all of us have flaws. So whether it's my wisdom or somebody else's wisdom, I'm sorry, that cannot work for me. It's got to be the wisdom of him. That's always proven to be right, proven to be perfect, proven to be infallible, and never needs a correction. God has spoken to us, and I think that's an awesome thing. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they, talking about the Scriptures, have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God has spoken to us, and because of that, I'm telling you, we can live a life that honors and reflects him by obeying what he said. Amen? Here's the second thing that we know is that God is the Lord and King and ruler of all the world. That's, that's, just, that's just, it is what it is. He rules over everything. First Chronicles 29 and 11 basically tells us you're the ruler over all. Everything is under his care. Everything is under his watchful eye. God is the sovereign ruler. There is no one greater than him. No one can be greater than him. And if you don't believe that, just keep living because you'll find out sooner or later. Sooner or later, the scripture tells us this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is absolutely the end of the story. And so, so the encouragement for us from the Word of God is that we recognize that He is the Lord right now of our life, and that sure puts things in a whole lot better perspective. Can you say amen? And then the other thing that we know clearly from Scripture is that God is the only wise God and Savior. All glory belongs to Him. Romans 16, 27 says that all glory belongs to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Glory sometimes is a tough word to maybe break down, but what it actually means in, in, in a vernacular that maybe that you understand, it's just honoring him for his worth. He's so worth us saying to him, thank you. He's so worth us saying to him, God, you are good to me. He's so worth saying, thank you for the life I have. Thank you for the life that is to come. Thank you for the things you're doing. For the value of what God is, the worth of God. He is worthy of all glory. Jude 125 says this, all glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time in the present and beyond all time. He is worth that. I, I'm almost sure I've shared this story with you because I, uh, I, I know I've, I hear myself, I've shared it in different settings, and I'm sure here was, the church was one. So indulge me if, if I have uh, shared this with you, and, and it's a familiar story. But several years ago, I was on a, on a flight and end up uh, in, the, in the first 
uh, class area just by some bump ups and end up sitting next to a doctor. And he lived in San Diego, I believe, and would fly up to Seattle to work. And just like with normal conversations, you know, you talk about different things uh, that, you know, what's going on in life, etc. And so he had shared about who he was, what he was doing, why he chose to work in Seattle and live in San Diego, etc. Then he asked what I do, and I, of course I, I uh, told him who I was and told him what, what, I, what I do. And, and so consequently the conversation went to the fact of uh, what, what his belief was uh, in God. Now, since then I've changed that, and I usually more ask people more precise about, about Jesus. But in this particular case, I asked him what his thoughts was about God. And the guy actually uh, said some things to me that I had not heard in the context in the manner that he did. Basically, he said, I just, I don't, uh, I mean, he, he might exist, he may not exist. It's really not that big of an issue to me. And I said to him, well, if, if he does exist and he has a plan and a purpose for our life, then it should be important to you that he does exist because if, he is a, if he's the God that we believe he is and says that he is, then there's a righteousness that will have to be judged in all of our lives based on him being the judge of all of our lives because he has given us life to live according to him. So I went through, through all of that, and he says, well, you know, a lot of that may be true if he exists, but he, but he went on to say, but here's the big issue I got. The struggle I have is there's some things that you guys say about God that I just don't think people should be concerned about. And I said, like one, he says, well, like you, you guys tell people that God ought to be praised and God ought to be thanked and, uh, and those kind of things. And I, I said, well, yeah. And he says, like, you know, when you guys pray and you sing songs, you, you say these things, you know, you tell God how great he is and how awesome he is and how wonderful he is and how lovely he is and all of those things. And I said, yeah, we do. He says, I, I don't understand that. I said, why? He says, I think that's rather egotistical thought, oh. He says, he says, well, let, let me just, he said, what if I'm sitting next to you right now? And, and I say to you, hey, I'm Dr. whatever his name is. I'll use Dr. I don't know, Doolittle. And, uh, and, I, and I said to you, hey, I'm Dr. Doolittle. And uh, I'm a pretty great guy. I'm a pretty awesome guy. You ought to tell me thank you. You ought to give me praise. You ought to tell me how great I am and how good I am. He said, wouldn't you think that I was egotistical? I said, absolutely I would. He said, well, why don't you think, why don't you say that about God? Why is God allowed to be an egomaniac and y'all don't have an issue with it? I thought, oh my, oh my. Kind of got myself in a little tizzy. <clears throat> Can I get some water, please? You know, I kind of got myself in a little tizzy. But by, by the grace of God, I remembered a story that I had uh, read about just recently. It had nothing to do with this, but it, I thought, I'm going to try this because I think it works. I said, I just read about a, a, a guy who was a pastor. At least I believe he was a pastor, but I know that he was sitting down at his study writing some notes or a sermon or something. And his, the way his house set, he had a, a bay window, and he actually lived up on a bay or a lake or something. But when he looked out his window, he could see the body of water, had his dock there in front of him. He said while he was working, his dog kept barking. And he thought that the, 
dog was just after something. So he looked up a couple of times. Dog was down by the water, blah, 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 doing his thing, barking, barking, barking. But he didn't, he just figured it, whatever it is, it'll go away. But it kept going on. And so he looked up to find out, to, to try to see from a distance, what is it the dog was after? And while the dog was acting up, eventually the dog fell into the water. Whatever it was after, it just, he just was compelled to go after it and got into the water. As the dog goes in the water, the current is moving, and he could tell right away the dog is going to get stuck in the current. So he runs out to try to, to try to get the dog before the dog got to get too far. So he runs along the shore thinking he could get close enough. He couldn't get close enough, so he got to his neighbor's dock, jumped on the dock, figured when the dog comes through, he'll reach down and grab it. He got close, but not close enough. Dog ended up going under his hand, caught in the current and still going. So now he's running down to the next dock. He said he's, he's about exhausted trying to catch this dog before the dog drowns, of course, and plus it's his dog. And so he goes to the next dock. He gets to the next dock. He sees a net, and he thinks, that I'm just going to grab it with the net. So as the dog comes through, he uses the net, swoops the dog up, sets the dog up on the dock. He falls back in total exhaustion. The dog comes out of the net soaking wet. The dog shakes himself, shakes off all the water, and just goes on about his business. Now the man is sitting there thinking, I just gave myself to save this dog. And this dog can't even kiss me on the lips, can't even jump up, won't even say, good master, good master, just shakes himself and runs off. So I say to the doctor, you're just like the dog. The creator of the planet has went out of his way to save your life. And instead of you acknowledging what he has done for you, so you got mobility, you got the ability to be a doctor, you got mobility of your limbs, you got opportunity to have a great life, you just want to walk around here, shake yourself, and keep on going. My God is not an egomaniac. He is worthy of all thanks, honor, and glory for what he has done. And so he's the only wise God and only Savior. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 6 says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior. Listen to this. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. That's a good saving message. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Those are the things that we know about God. He's spoken He's the Lord over all, and he's the only wise God and Savior. Why is it important for us to know him? And I'll, and I'll close out with this, but here's the things that we, you got to know or want to know or should want to know. To know God is eternal life. And honestly, I could actually stop right there. I could take the verse we just read in 1 Timothy that says that he wants everybody to be saved. He wants everyone to understand the truth. He's the only God that's able to mediate that salvation. He's the only one that's enables us to reconcile in a right life with him. I could take that and tie it with this verse where it says, our God is the only God 
by which we have eternal life. And knowing him brings that eternal life. So what is the scripture saying? What is John 17 saying? And this is eternal life that you, they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's, it's one of those verses that really does speak to us right in the heart of what it is that we need. Because listen, as I go back to what the wise man said, that Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, as I go back to that, notice what he says. All of these things in life, as a matter of fact, he wrote in that same chapter that the sum of the matter is that it all comes out to nothing if we don't know God. That is the end of it. You see, that's the end of life. By not knowing God, you come to a place where not only do you experience death, but you experience eternal death. In other words, it's death that never has any life the way it was intended to be at all. It don't mean you're just in a grave and you're non-existent. No, you're still existent. And you're existing in an eternal state, but it's eternal death separated from life and community and fellowship but here's the worst thing, separated from the God who enabled us to have life, peace, joy, if you want to use this word, happiness, forevermore. That's what you're separated from. Without knowing God, there is no hope for eternal life. This is why Christianity gets knocked on by other people, because they say our message is exclusive. We basically only say that the only ones that got this right is Christians. Now, let me tell you something. Christians mess up a whole lot of stuff. Don't think that everything Christians say is right. We mess up a whole lot of stuff. All of this, yeah, I could go into even politics from everything. We got opinions about this, opinions about that, and most of that stuff ain't God voice at all. It's just voices, it's just stuff. But the one thing that Christianity has right and that is this, the only way to have eternal life is to believe in the eternal God. And the only way to believe in the eternal God is to accept his eternal son, who is Jesus Christ, who died, who rose, and who lived forevermore. That's, that is a fact that cannot be erased. So in spite of what other things that Christians say that can be completely wrong, there's one thing that we say that's absolutely right. If you know God and his son, Jesus Christ, you also can have eternal life. And that's what's needed by us all. I like what Paul said, and this is the second thing, to know God is the only thing of value. This ties back into Jeremiah chapter 9 when it talks about what we should boast in. Paul said this, that he says, yes, everything else is worthless, Check this out. When compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hear this, Christians. This is where that press in on that narrow way comes in. What do you consider the most valuable things in your life? What are the things that really have the most value? Paul says, if you compare that to knowing Christ Jesus, he goes on to say, I consider that stuff as dung. I counted it as garbage. I counted it as nothing because who is it that I want to gain? It's Christ. I want to know Jesus. 
Now, why you ought to get a, why this shouldn't be so hard to convince you of is because when you've done, you've been to funerals, you've seen funerals, there ain't nothing going with anybody. All of the things that we have in this life, none of it goes with us the next step. None of it does. So how can something be more valuable than life? And what gives life the greatest value? Having the life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, folks, I went to Pecan Grove School. And I went to a middle school. And then I went to Yuma High School. I struggled through math. Always have. But, I, but, I, but this is an equation that I can't miss. Trusting my life plus something dead equals death. But my life plus the one who gives life equals life. I don't have to have algebra, trigonometry, or geometry to figure that out. Trust plus life in Christ equals eternal life. Any other equation just leaves you in a grave with people sorrowing and weeping over you because here is their biggest fear and their biggest concern is the life with you has ended. But I'm here to tell you, if you're in Christ Jesus, we may cry over your body, but I got this hope that life with you will never end because you're in the same Christ that I'm in. And because we're in that Christ and have that life, we'll always be together for all of eternity. I don't need to cry over your body because I know I'm going to be with you again. Why? Because I have life in Jesus Christ. It's a simple equation to me. A simple equation. Paul says this other stuff doesn't really mean anything. The message says it like this. All the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master. Firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash that I can embrace Christ. I gave up all the inferior stuff so that I can know Christ personally and experience his resurrection power. It's amazing. It's amazing that Paul boiled this down to the real simplicity of life, of knowing Jesus. And then he said this, and this is the last thing. Basically what Paul lets us know is to know God is a glorious way of living. I, I don't really... How can I say this? I don't, I don't even know how anybody else, honestly, can make it through this life from day to day if they don't know the Lord. I know they do. Don't misunderstand. We run across people every day who live life and don't know God. But I can't fathom how I could do it. I, I can't fathom how I can wake up in the morning and the only concept of life I have is what I'm doing, how I'm going to do it, the way I think about doing it, and think that it's going to end up good. I, I, I can't fathom that. I, I can't fathom hitting situations and crises into my life 
and not be able to contact people in Christ that I know who will pray and I can pray and I can seek God and I can go to his word and look to some wisdom. I can't fathom that. I have no idea how to live in this life and not have Christ. I am serious because without Christ, I'm telling you, you are hopeless because you got nothing that goes on. Uh, yeah, let me, let me bring this down. How can you have hope in anything in this life if you don't have Christ because everything that you may hope in comes to naught? It comes to death. It comes to a bad end. So what are you hoping for? How can you have peace when you know the end of the story is death and destruction? How can you have a life of joy when you don't have anything in your life that you can absolutely count on that will always bring you joy? I'm serious. You've been there. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Things that some things you put the most hope in, that comes to the end, comes to naught, breaks your heart, grieves. You, you know what I'm saying. Crops die, dog die, cat runs off, all that stuff. Because where you're putting it all in, where the, the end of what you're trusting in is something that's fallible and comes to an end. The only person who lives on forever is Jesus Christ. I was just a quick story. You can, you can stand. I don't even know if I read that last verse, but I was doing a funeral um, yesterday. It was uh, Lisa's brother passed. It's the only funeral in my life where while I'm standing up there bringing a message, somebody interrupts me. Now, I, we got Josie here. That happens in church. I'm talking about a funeral. And I was just saying that I'm going to say a few more things, and then when I finish, I'll let some other folks speak. But since it's outside, we won't let you speak too long. We can do more on the inside. And the guy busted out and said, if you stop talking, somebody else can talk, which was all right. I, I, it was, that was cool. But the thing that I want to mention to you now is he said something while he was shouting these things out that really I had never thought about it, but it made sense to me. It was a fellow that I ran around with in school. And, and, I, and I've told you, I, I know some of y'all think I've been a saint all my life, and I've been close, <laughs> close. But there's been some years and some seasons in my life that where I just thought if they're going to replace the Yumahai Crimhead, it's going to be mine. And so there were some years of my life in high school that was pretty rough, pretty tough. And the guy shouted out, so he was one of the ones I ran around with. He shouted out. He said, the only reason you are pastor is because of us. Now, of course, I understand calling, but, I, but his point was. So I was saying, okay. And he says, because we were doing so much stuff that you made a decision. I need to go to church and I need to find Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. He was right. He was right. I came to a point in my life when I realized all of this stuff was coming to an end. It was going nowhere. It was leading to nothing. And even if you didn't have a criminal background or criminal lifestyle, if you're here and you haven't trusted Jesus, I'm here to tell you, even while I'm talking, you're thinking, he's right, this stuff is coming to an end. 
It leads to nothing. There came a point in my life when I realized if I am going to enjoy life, I'm only going to have that in Christ Jesus. I'm only going to have it there. So I ain't giving him credit for my calling and all that, but I, I certainly will say he was right about that. I, I knew this life, uh-uh, is not working. Can I just close with this? If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to tell you, this life is not working. And it's not going to work. Because the only way that you can have eternal life and all that comes with it, the joy, the peace, the love, the love, that comes from God Almighty is to know Him as Lord and Savior. I want the prayer people to come. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a couple of things here. I, I want to I talk to you if, you if you're somebody who's been in relationship with the Lord and you, you've made a confession of faith, you've been baptized, you know, you know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But you recognize, you know, man, I do. I need to know, I need to know God better. When, when Paul talked about taking all these things in life and comparing them to knowing Christ, you come to the conclusion, I get what Paul is saying. None of these things I'm holding up or believing in or trusting in or hoping in or looking to, none of that stuff compares to having that rich relationship with Jesus. And you've been there. Here's the thing. I'm not talking to anybody who's never been there. I'm talking to folks who indeed have had a relationship with Jesus and you absolutely know what that relationship is like. And maybe somewhere down the line, I don't know, something affects you. And you get distracted and we can do that. How many know that can happen to any of us? We can get distracted in life and everything else becomes more important. We get sidetracked with stuff. Things happen in life. Maybe disappointments comes. You know, things go, don't go the way that we want or we talked to God about it, prayed about it, and didn't go that way. And we get, we get thrown off. But you know what it's like to have a rich relationship with Jesus where you can actually say, my God is a good God. I want every head bowed. If I'm talking to you, if you're here in the spirit and you're saying, that's me, I know Christ is Savior, but I really, I really get a hold, I got to get a hold of knowing him. I want to pray for you. Just lift your hands. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I just want to pray for you. Say, I, 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 I just want to know him. I got to press in. I got to press in. I want to know him. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the hands all over this building. I thank you for speaking as the spirit so well does. Whatever conviction you've brought, whatever understanding you've brought, whatever word you've spoken to those who have acknowledged this, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that you will help them, Lord God, as they acknowledge and surrender. Yes, I want to know God better in Jesus' name. I want you to keep your heads bowed for just one moment. There may be some of you here who you've, you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, never accepted him or never believed that Jesus or made Jesus the Lord of your life. Today's a good day to do it. Today's a good day. Today's a good day for you to acknowledge the fact that I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want eternity. I, I do want to follow God. I want to live in a manner with his help by the spirit that I can please him. 
I want to embrace everything that God has for my life, the reason that he's created me, the reason that he's given me life, the purpose that is before me. I want to embrace that. If that's you, if you say, man, today, 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 I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand. I'll pray for you here. We'll follow up. God bless you, man. God bless you. Is there another? Say, I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. God bless you. I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want everybody to pray with me if you would. Father, I come to you. And I thank you for offering Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I believe he died for all of my sins. I thank you for forgiveness. From this day forward, I want to live a life that pleases him. I thank you for the promise of eternity. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that I may be taught how to live for you. May I please you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.